Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome Welcome to episode number 127. This is going to be week two of our uh, intro to the Bible. And I've got Michael back for a little bit. Whoop, 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 whoop. Michael's back. And uh, we're going to continue. I'm going to I'm gonna tag this on to Brian and I's discussion, uh, finishing out the Old Testament. Um, and then, actually, the, the weirdness of the recording is that Michael will actually be kind of on 128. Um when we did, when we recorded that episode. Um, so it's fun. It's going to be good. Michael's getting back in the saddle. Got the new baby. Yeah. We are came a little bit early. He did. He came about 10 days early. And uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you saw a story that we posted there uh, welcoming him and, uh, or just a repost of what I posted. doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> we did something. <laughs> we did something, dude. I mean, if you've ever had a baby, you know that like eventually your sleep deprivation catches up to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm starting to hit that a little bit. <laughs> You're hit the um, wall. <laughs> well, it was. I mean, we're still we're getting decent sleep. It's just not like not as much as we used to get before yeah. we had them. So, <laughs> I, so my oldest is 11 now, mm-hmm. and I, I still remember when when she was born, and like we did this whole like. I slept through the night because I had to get up and go to work. And so my wife and I just kind of had the agreement. Like I was and, and I literally couldn't do anything because we didn't, uh, we nursed. And so mm-hmm. there was literally nothing for me to do. I was like, I'm going right. to sit here and be moral support or I can go to sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when we got to like week six, I, I distinctly remember one night woke up. My wife freaked out. Because we went, she went to sleep at 10 o'clock and she was exhausted. She's like, you guys, like exhausted. Mm-hmm. Sleeps for like seven hours and thinks yeah. the baby has, has died. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that first time you do that and you're, you're yeah. just like freaking out. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, so we're supplementing. So we're, we're nursing as much as we can, but then also mm-hmm. supplementing with formula just to make sure he's getting enough food. Um, so when, in the middle of it, uh, during the night when my wife is nursing, you know, she'll let me sleep during that part because there's nothing I can really do. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if he's if he's slacked and hungry and she's like, okay, I'm done with I'm done with this for now, she'll wake me up and I'll I'll give him a bottle or whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of the deal we've got going on right now. I like same like you, I have to get up and go to work. So yeah. um, <laughs> getting as much rest as I can is beneficial <laughs> to make sure I keep doing my job. So we can keep having things like a house and food and, <laughs> and the electricity and the air yeah, conditioning, stuff like that. So <laughs> we're good getting adjusted. My older son, um, which is weird to say now, cause you know, my oldest, um, your is, oldest and your youngest, yes, my oldest, and my youngest, my oldest is a four and he's adjusting as well as a four year old can, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, Fun days really, are ahead for you. Oh, he's, I mean, he's really, I mean, he's been great so far wanting to hold That's his awesome. brother and, you know, getting adjusted, not being too, uh, too upset about his routine being all messed up, which I mean, anytime you mess with anyone's routine, they're going to be like, Hey, what is going on with this? So, yeah. um, but we're good, man, getting adjusted and, uh, happy to be back. I'm looking forward to, uh, hearing what you and Brian discussed on episode 127 here. Yep. And uh, like you said, next week, um, so weird way of the scheduling, we've already recorded 128, 129. Yeah. <laughs> before we recorded this little intro for 127. So um, I am present physically on those two episodes, <laughs> yeah. but I barely talk. So um, we do our, we do our beer review and then uh, Anthony and Brian get into the discussion and, uh, 
it, it's really good discussions. And, and when we get to the New Testament, I'm excited about um, y'all hearing that. Um, it is going to be good. Do we want to uh, tease the... Uh, oh, yeah. The, so so what, what happens when we come back with episode 130? Yes, so we've got episodes 27, 28, 29 coming up. Those are going to carry us through the month of June. Um, and when we get back, and it's actually, I think I did them. If I did the math right on this, then it'll be July 1st will be okay. the, the first episode that we're like gung ho back. Um, and that's when we're going to start. Let's see if I can remember the name. It's the beers and Bible, big box, bonanza, beer bash. I don't know. Something like that. Lots of bees because lots we're of good, bees because we're good Southern Baptists <laughs> and we need the alliteration. So, so you guys voted. And we got the top eight. Yes. And we're going to divide the top eight into four episodes. Mm -hmm. And we're going to drink two beers per episode. And we're going to pick a winner from each one of those. Should we, should we keep going all the way to and do like the top yeah. four? Yeah, we should, we should, we should do a, a tournament all the way down. So um, <laughs> we're so going to have a winner. <laughs> so we took, uh, we took, uh, I don't remember which website it was, but some website had like the top 20, big box brands yeah. in sales in 2021. We took the top 16 of that because the math was easy and mm -hmm. pit, pitted them up against each other and posted that in our Instagram and Facebook stories. And I would like voted. to say, I'm not excited about a few of the matchups for the record. <laughs> I'm not either knowing we have to pick a winner of uh, some of them, but I mean, looking at the original matchup, maybe it's, you know, a little bit better. So, so the, uh, so y'all voted on, which ones y'all liked better or which ones y'all thought you would like better. And um, we're doing this like uh, the basketball tournament in March. Uh, so like it was one versus 16 and mm -hmm. all the way down and whoever won moves on to the next round. So um, we'll, uh, we'll have, so that'll be one, two, three, four in the first round. And then uh, if, if it's, I can't do math. Uh, we'll do so. We'll do four weeks, and that'll get us down to four beers. And then because be we'll two eliminate, more. we'll eliminate one each week. Four, and then we'll and do then, two more episodes that'll get us down to two beers. And then one mm -hmm. episode we'll pick so, the champion. So we'll, so we'll have we'll have seven weeks of this. Yes, we, we should have thought about this a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, so we have seven <laughs> weeks of this. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this. Um, just because it's it's kind of a fun thing to try to do to see what we think the best big box beer is um and there's no good sports in summer so that well i mean it depends on <laughs> baseball baseball's <laughs> going on um i like watching cars go around in circles so i that my sports are going um so there's that but anyway um so we have that and then also anthony and i can get all of the beers that Pretty were on all, the, yeah. all of them so we were not going to have that issue um we didn't need to look at the schedule a little bit because i'm going to be down y'all's way in oh, yeah. late july that's right. I mean, we probably won't be able to record because it's, you know, we're not quite as close as we could be, but we definitely need to try to meet up or something. Anyway, so um, so that's what's coming when we get back. Um, we'll have the beers and Bible, big box, beer, bonanza, bash, <laughs> whatever we're calling it. <laughs> All the bees, everything yep. B. <laughs> yep. So, but we're, so we're excited question mark about that um <laughs> to be fair like this is gonna be the first time that we have that we are going to be reviewing beers that we have previously drank before mm -hmm. because yes. i think I, there may be a couple of them in that list that i've never had but for the but most part i think a, i've had almost all of them there's a few i haven't had um but i already know i have one i've got one i hope is the winner in my head already like oh, okay. I've, I've I've got one that I that I you've whittled your bracket down. <laughs> like like I've already filled out my bracket. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we should, <laughs> we should make brackets. <laughs> the winner gets um the uh, congratulations from us. <laughs> oh man. If you would like to if you would like to partake in a beers and bible big box bash bracket, um <laughs> let hit you know send us a message and we it will and we'll see about uh sending that out or something we'll figure we'll figure mm -hmm. out something so um but yeah that's what's going on 
with uh, with the Beers and Bible podcast in the next few weeks. And like Anthony said, when we get back uh, at the first of July, um, we will be diving headfirst into the uh, book by book study through the Bible. And we'll start from the beginning. We'll go. I imagine we'll go from Genesis all the way through to Re- Revelation, and not, That's right. not deviate too far off the order of the of the uh, books. There, we will not. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be fun. It's um, we're we're taking the high approach, so we're not going to be diving into like chapters and verses a lot on these, um, giving a lot of summaries, but. Um, the goal is to help uh, you guys. And something that I will do is I'm going to post some links and and some stuff to the books that we're going to be using. Um, I know the last week's episode came out and I said I was going to post um, a link to the book and I haven't done that yet, but I'm going to do that um, so that you'll know what we're working through. Uh, you can pick you up a copy of it and I would suggest getting a copy of both of the books because it will be very beneficial for you. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a really good time. And the reason we're not really doing a, a big beer review, Michael and I are just having sitting down and having a yingling tonight because it's kind of our classic. So we're not doing the like crack it open and we're just sitting here drinking a beer and, and chatting it up for a little bit while we, while we introduce episode 127. So if you're wondering where the beer review is, it's yingling and it's good and it's just regular. What what would you rate a yingling? Have we ever rated it before? Probably not. The only Yingling we rated was a Hershey, and right. I actually finally have one in my beer fridge, which, um, so it runs all the time. I'm actually getting a new one pretty soon, yes. um, but it, well, new to me. Um, so it runs all the time, so I have to turn it off while I record because it's upstairs in my office, and I forgot to turn it back on when I went downstairs last week, oh, so my beer in there is not cold. It'll be fine. I'll turn it back on and it'll it'll cool back down. <laughs> cool we'll back be, down. <laughs> we'll be we'll be good to go. But uh, I had Yingling in the fridge downstairs. So um to answer your question, I'd probably give it between four and four and a half Luthers. Yeah. I think it's I'm a good, four. It's a good my good uh I don't like above average lager. Uh <laughs> got good flavor, good texture. Um what's funny is and I guess part of the reason like Yingling did not make it to the list of what we have. And I think if I remember right, the article that we pulled it from, it said Yingling is technically a craft brewery because they don't like um, they're, they're America's oldest brewery, but like I forget what it is that makes them a craft brewery or make someone a craft brewery, but, but they Yingling did not make the list of the top 16. If you were wondering why it was not in there um, when y'all voted, that's why. This had to be. I'm looking it up. What's what um, was? Con- I think it was what was considered big box. Like, so it's got to do with how, uh, like, how widely distributed it is. I think. Yeah, but Yingling's nationwide, though, aren't they? According I to think. this, they're only available in like 22 states. Oh man. I feel sorry for if if you're not in a state that has Yingling, I'm sorry. I want to apologize right now to you because Yingling is so good. I'm going to look it up. Now you got me curious. Yingling based in Pottsville, Pennsylvania is America's oldest and largest craft brewery as defined by the Brewers Association. Well, why'd you do that Brewers Association? Let's find <laughs> out. Um, maybe because they have limited distribution. They've only got distribution in like two places. But it I'm with be. you like I'm like, they're <clears throat> Yingling will expand. It doesn't matter. So they're a craft brewery. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you're right. Like that's why they weren't on the uh, contest for us is because mm-hmm. they're not. They're technically big, not big box. They're not big box, even though I don't think I've ever been in a store where you could buy alcohol and I could not get Yingling. Yeah. Well, we are like right. we're on the east, so we are. But I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they always they always have it with uh, Budweiser and Miller. It's always right. like all the right there together. So that's why you just associate it with a uh, big box, I guess. That's, my favorite is when you go to a restaurant and they think Yingling is an import, and I'm like, bro, it says on the can, America's oldest brewery. <laughs> this if is you guys not are, an import. <laughs> if you guys are importing your Yingling, you're 
paying way too much for your yingling. <laughs> but anyway, so Anthony and I are drinking yinglings tonight. Just yeah, just chatting it up before uh, we get into the uh, 127th episode of the podcast here. That's right. And it's going to be good. We're going to discuss the Old Testament. It's going to be a good old time with Brian and I. I I'm going to go ahead and say this. I am not sad that I missed the Old Testament discussion. <laughs> like I know we're going to go through each book of the Old Testament, but uh, some of the stuff in the Old Testament is. Ugh, it, Dude, there's it, there's some. So I'm I'm in my reading plan, and like right now I'm just now getting to Psalms. So I just came through like Chronicles and Samuel and Kings, mm-hmm. and like I get to that stuff, and I'm like, bro, like. These people, these people are so like every time I'm I'm hearing this because I listen to it and I read it at the same time. And the whole time I'm thinking of that meme where it's like, you are so dumb. You are dumb for real. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. Like that, but that's that's the story of the old testament, though, right? It's God's yes, people it is. uh following him, rebelling, dealing with ramifications, Re- repenting, repenting, following, following him, him again. rebelling. Yeah. I mean that but, and that's a cycle for pretty much all the old testament so yep um but anyway so times. we're excited and we're looking forward to uh when we get into the the main part of our study here in a few weeks it's gonna be fun so we're gonna toss it back to our conversation uh between brian and i uh the finish the final half of the discussion on the old testament and we will do that right after this break Give me some give me some wisdom on what narratives are in scripture because I know you know a lot about this. No, I don't know a lot about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, but what narratives are, I mean, narratives, I mean, we we kind of use this phrase, you know, they're descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to draw, but they're not morality stories necessarily. Right. Not they're not telling you explicitly what's right, what's wrong. They're mm-hmm. simply describing and but it's interesting how the narratives. It, it, they're very subtle in what they do say. So, mean, you look at the, toward the beginning of Genesis, and it's telling you how long people lived, right? Right. And sometimes, and so for years, you kind of like, wow, Methuselah died when he was 969. Isn't that something? <laughs> but we miss repeat, repeatedly. It says, then he died, then he died, then he died, yeah. then he died. And that's following Genesis 3. And so mm-hmm. we have the introduction into of, of death, to the human yeah. race and people living a long time, but they're dying. Sure. Yeah. As anything else, except for Enoch, one exception to that. Yeah. Um, and so don't really hear about him again until Hebrews 11. But um, so as far as what narratives do, I mean, uh, I think that Fee and Stewart are incredibly helpful in talking about what they're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what, they don't teach a directly teach a doctrine. So that yeah. passage in Genesis is saying, and then he died. You know, that is stated more, you know, explicitly and propositionally in the New Testament. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. death. Yeah. Um, and uh, in fact, Kenneth, Kenneth Matthews, Beeson, he said, you could describe the whole book of Numbers with one verse from, uh, from Romans <laughs> chapter 6, verse 23, and it's the wages of sin is death. <laughs> um, that's numbers in a nutshell. And, uh, but so, so their narratives and they're, they're not, they're, they usually illustrate, and that's what mm-hmm. Fee and Stewart said, illustrate a doctrine or doctrines taught propositionally elsewhere. That's right. You know, they're illustrative. So we teach something in the New Testament, we're looking through the New Testament. It's referring back to, and Paul says that these things, you know, all of the Old Testament was meant to teach us, was it teach us, hear the proposition in the New Testament, but you're illustrated in the Old Testament in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. They record what happens. You know, another, I'm, I'm just looking down the list here. Because with with reaching and teaching, we developed the workbook for the students. We wanted them to have practice with every genre. And so with Old Testament narratives, that was usually like in in developing countries, a lot of the where the prosperity gospel has just really run rampant. Mm -hmm. um, They they have a tendency to take Old Testament, obscure Old Testament passages and really build their health, wealth and prosperity ministry on. And 
So if you don't know how to deal with an Old Testament passage, you could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, or just vulnerable. Americans and, are really good at that too, for the record. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Well, that's the thing. Like American prosperity gospel has been exported to oh my God. Large, large parts of Africa. <laughs> um, you know, TBN is just everywhere. Like we were in the middle of the, you know, in Zambia one year, just in this random side bar on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And sure enough, they got the TV on and they've got TBN going on the TV. Um, and, uh, it wasn't Osteen back then. I want to say it was like Jesse Duplantis or something. Oh, God. So, so like, Jamie Faye Baker um, with her fake tears. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so they record what happens, what they say. Not every narrative has an individual identifiable moral application, but ironically, like, the whole as a kid in Sunday school, most of the material was written taking Old Testament passages and say, What's the example to follow? And that's where they start. Right. Like, what these are, we're assuming these are all good people, but you look mm-hmm. at the Old Testament, most of these folks are pretty rotten. Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> even the good guys are the bad guys. Yeah, go uh, read Kings if you don't believe us. <laughs> or, or, yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, so it's not a lot of examples, so there's got to be something else that it teaches us, but it's describing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not saying do this. It's just saying this is what was done. And, yeah. Um, and uh, so, so as far as what narrative, the biggest thing is that every narrative, I believe, is pointing us to something that is true about God and something that's true mm-hmm. about human beings and something about our need for Christ. You right. Know, uh, Brian Chappell talks about the fallen condition focus. I think mm-hmm. there's something in so many passages where that's it, pointing to our need for Christ yeah. in some way. I think that's that's where I think guys like uh, church fathers like Augustine actually got a lot of stuff right. Um, yeah. You know, he Augustine was all over the map on some stuff. There, there's no doubt about that. But but one of the things that he got right, and and maybe this was because of his past, but he was really focused on in later years. He was really focused on his fallen condition, his um, you know standing before God, and and. At some points, if you ever read confessions, you you almost get this like, dude, this this guy is battling some severe depression because of yeah. the way that he looks. I mean, he's he sees himself as just almost like a Martin Luther, like a the theology of the cross is what I think of. How low can I get myself? How minuscule can I make my being before God? Because he's so grand that I'm like this tiny speck of sand that's that's worth nothing compare in comparison to god and yeah. and i you know it, it was it's it's a really refreshing and talking about being the opposite of the prosperity gospel i mean it's it's when you talk about that type of theology and that's where uh, you know a lot of your reformed and calvinistic guys are going to draw from augustine um and they're going to say you know it's it's a very man it's ascetic toward man because they they don't have a high view of man materially. Now, they do have a high view of man because they're made in the image of God and they see every person as in, you know, in the Imago Dei and the inherent dignity that is in every living being that God has created. And if you are a living being person, regardless of your status of salvation, you are still a person who who has in, who inherits or has the Imago Dei, the image of God. And so you know, I think I think guys like Augustine really get that aspect of of our comparison to God and and telling that story and framing that story. And I think that's where you can get. It's not about the the learning to do this or that or having the the rules this that. You know, it's not like everything is the Ten Commandments, but it is saying a lot of the narratives are saying, "Here's what you need to know about yourself." You're probably not that great. Here's what you need to know about God. He is a gracious, good, and loving God. Look at how he treats Israel. Look at how he treats Rahab the prostitute. You know, go through the Old right. Testament and pick Ruth and Naomi. You know, pick your your character that you want to focus on and say, yeah. you know, where where do I need to see myself in the story? I love when Matt Chandler always says, you're not David. Um, because so many times we want to put ourselves as this great person in the story. And, and, you know, maybe there, I'm not going against Matt Chandler, but maybe there is a time where you are a David in, in a story, you know, that's entirely possible that you're serving a role 
that David served. And and you need to be that person who's defined as a man after God's own heart, or you're a lady agree after with God's that. own heart. You know, I think yeah. there is a time where we can be a David, but we're not I always think we're a quick David. to chuck that. We are very quick to chuck that. And I don't think we should. Yeah. Um, I think you are meant to draw not just instruction from the the bad examples and say, you're mm-hmm. just bad and you're just worthless. <laughs> and and uh, Dallas Willard, I think really had a lot of things to say about that kind of theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of places where I would disagree with Dick Willard, but then one thing that he, he got right is they're just, you focus so much on, on that. Yeah. You're not even really seeing the goodness of Jesus who's renewing you and restoring That's right. you, who gives you the ability to walk in a resurrected life, a newness That's right. of life. And, um, and I think that you have to, yeah, you have to identify to some degree, not because you're heroic, but because Jesus lives in you. That's right. And, and the Holy spirit resides in you in a way that the old Testament people didn't have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so those are important things to keep in mind. And I think because we're so committed to a reformed theological position that we miss, uh, it's a system. It's a, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's meant to help us understand scripture, but it's not scripture. No, it's not. Um, and that's, it, that's where I, I tend to, to lean to the reform perspective, but you know, it's oftentimes where I find myself um, picking at or, or challenging or critiquing reformed because they, they want to put such a high view on the work and the goodness and the, the means of grace. And, and I, don't, I don't want to demean that in any way, but they do it to such a point where it almost becomes idolatry, where the means of grace is the thing that they have to focus on so hard and eschew everything else, you know, all for focusing right. on the mystery and the means of grace that you tend to lose the the inherent dignity of man and and there yes. is some inherent dignity in man because god gave us that dignity it, it's nothing that we have it's nothing that we've earned or that we deserve but it it is something that god has given us even as you read kings and chronicles and you hear about these kings that put asherah poles up and they did things that were evil in the sight of the lord and and it says that the lord detested them and the things that they did they were still even in that state they were still inherent of God's goodness because they had the breath of life in them, which came from God. Right. You know, yeah. if we, yeah. if we as believers and as Christians actually believe that God is the creator and sustainer of all things, then anybody who is created and being sustained is, is so because of God, because God yeah. has, has left life in them. And so we have to be respectful of that and honorable of that and yeah. recognize that in people's lives. Right. Well, it just becomes like a, a theology of misery. Right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I must, it's holy to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so this, everything is negative. And so therefore you really don't find much beauty in anything Yeah. Um, when you're just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a lump of crap and everybody, and, and you just, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the way you look at it. I just, I've seen this and I've, yeah. uh, and it's so, I mean, is it, how do you think that way? And, and you miss really, and as a Christian, you miss how, what a precious thing it is to know Jesus yeah. and um, to know what he's done and to know that he really does love you. And yeah, um, he does. I mean, he said it's to your advantage. I go away because he sends the Holy spirit to us yep. to teach us. And we have his presence in that way. And so we do get to experience and so and I think because of that theology, we miss out on the interactive nature of mm-hmm. our relationship with, with the Lord. Um, so dude, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, uh, where were we again? <laughs> Old Testament. <laughs> we're, I think we're still talking about the Old Testament, but it, it, you know, that's the, the beauty of scripture and the beauty of the Bible is the, the things that happen in the Old Testament point to the New Testament and the New Testament does yeah. nothing but point back to the Old Testament. And That's so right, you yeah. have this, I love those picture graphics where it's like all of the times that the cross-referencing of New Testament and Old Testament, this just kind of looks like this big jumbled up mess. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the intricacy of scripture, but it also shows the amazingness of what God ordained in, in scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. All of that is ordained by God, and he knit and wove it together, and he chose to do it through messed up, crazy individuals. I mean, it, yeah. and, and it's just uh, to tell all of that to tell his story. And, yeah. 
And so, and he did it through um, this crazy nation, this, this nation that just couldn't seem to do anything right. And, and he talks, you know, we, we learned the story of the nation of Israel in the old Testament and it goes from, you got creation and Genesis uh, one through 11. And then you start picking up in the story of Abraham in Genesis 12 and you kind of walk, that's the beginning of the nation right there. And you walk through um, the Exodus and then, then, then the uh, Leviticus, you, you learn about the rules and all the things that, that they're going to have to follow and numbers, you got to count them. But there's a, and, and, you know, I, I tell people when you're reading the book of numbers, get ready because you're, you're going to fall asleep multiple times. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have been true, man. done that. Um, I, I did a Hebrew class on numbers and I had to write, um, oh I had gosh. to write a paper on the Nazarite vow from numbers chapter six. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is awful. But you know, when I, when I actually got into it, there, there is so much depth and so much meaning in even just the counting of the people, you know, why they had to do that and where, and, and, and it showed the sustaining hand of God, even though they were in the middle of the wilderness, even though they're wandering and they haven't quite made it to the, the promised land yet, God's sustaining hand is still with them. And it, and it, right. you know, it shows that in the counting is, is yeah. what it shows. It was, it's like, you know, we have memorials here, right? We have Vietnam War Memorial, we mm-hmm. have the memorial after 9-11. And to us, I mean, it's just a wall with names. But to anybody yeah. who's lost someone or knows somebody there, that is something that is significant. And so those those, those numbers, the census, I mean, the Hebrew you know, title, as you know, like it's is by me about it, it's, it's in the wilderness. It's not numbers. Yeah. Like that's something. That's it's right. Because <laughs> they count the people, but it's, it's a memorial. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not just a census. It's recognition of the real people, yeah, real, a real nation of people. Yeah. Um, and God really led these people in the mm-hmm. wilderness. These people, a group of them really rebelled and he really kept them wandering until that first generation died. That's right. Um, and, uh, and I think it's just grounds it. You talk about context, it grounds it in the reality of a historical context. Yeah. Um, and the boringness of the Bible is kind of, is, it reinforces that like the parts of the Bible, it reinforces that reality. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a memorial to that. I think it's important, uh, even mm-hmm. though I fall asleep reading it. <laughs> I do. I, I do too. But, um, you, when you, when you talk about the, the numbers and the memorial and that, uh, that leads me and it makes me think of what happens right after that. When they, the first generation dies off, Moses is gone. And then you have Joshua picking up the the mantle and, and moving on into the promised land. Then you have the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And the story of them coming into the land and then not being satisfied, wanting judges. And so they get judges. And then the judges basically leads to more moral decay in the nation. And then, you know, you get to the end of judges and it's everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. Yeah. And, you know, it, again, it's one of those you, you don't want to allegorize that, but but man, you can't help but see what's happening in the nation of Israel and go, how am I exactly like that? I, I, yeah. I do the things that they're that they're doing They're It's descriptive. It's telling you what they did. But how many times do you look at that and go, I'm just like Israel. I, I do what I want to do all the time because I want right. to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so that that brings some of that stuff that we've talked about this this whole you, you're not saying that it's symbolic of something, but you are saying that, man, that thing that they did, I can see myself doing that same thing in my own life. And, yeah. and I think that's that's really no matter what genre of of scripture or Old Testament that you're reading, whether you're reading the prophets or you're reading the Kings or the Chronicles, the stories that you're reading the narratives that you're learning about see see yourselves as as part of that narrative yes you're you're not the narrative but see yourself as part of that narrative and say what can i learn about my life where do i do the things that they did in the kings where they or in the judges where they did what was right in their own eyes or we demand things of god we you know judges weren't right. good enough so we got to now we got to have kings yeah 
Right. I mean, and so once you've done that, you talk about the difference between, you know, you get the exegetical work and the hermeneutical work you're trying mm-hmm. to reach. You get to this point of application, like, yeah. you know, what does it say? What does it mean? And then what does it mean to me? Um, the inductive method, right? Inter- yep. uh, observation, interpretation, application. So you're talking about the stage of application, which really kind of becomes more glaring and yeah. unobvious when you do the groundwork of observation. Like, what does that actually say? What did it mean to their mm-hmm. original hearers? Um, but you get to application. And, and one guy who wrote a book, uh, Jack Klumpenhauer, he wrote it for teachers of kids, um, mm-hmm. but how to basically preach the gospel, teach the gospel from the Old Testament to children. Yeah. And first question, and this comes across a lot, is what does the passage say about God? Um, what does it say about human beings in general? And then, uh, so well, what, or no, he says, what is God doing in the passage? And then yeah. what does that say about God? Mm-hmm. And then the next question is, how does God do the same thing, but better for those of us who are in Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get to the application question. So what is God doing in the passage? What does that say about him? And then the application part being, how does God do the same thing for, for Christians, mm-hmm. but better yeah. because of Jesus? You know, I think that's a helpful application question. Like, um, when you're looking at Old Testament passage, how does it, what God has done for us now through Christ supersede, right. you know, he cared for his people then, and how does he care for us now? Um, and what does that mean for us? What is our relationship like with him? And so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, but the, you're talking about application, identifying with the people. Oh, well, you can over-identify, you know, yeah. right? Uh, but usually we only make that mistake when we're finding too much good in ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's the truth. You no. Know, uh, uh, man, it's so many books have been written about like Old Testament heroes. I mean, some guy wrote years ago the Seven Success Secrets of Shamgar. Oh. Um, <laughs> what? That's a re- that's a real book, man. That's a real. I'm, I'm going to Amazon that after we get done. Or do it, do it. <laughs> I used to have a copy of it. Uh, or the you know the Prayer of Jabez. Oh yeah. Like that. Yep. So I find something and just kind of build Run a whole with it book on it because my publisher said I should. Yeah. And uh, they wrote and they wrote me a big check. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's very cynical and jaded. Sorry. Oh uh, hey, this this podcast lives in cynical and jaded. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so all right. The Old Testament, there's definitely different genres. We've talked a little bit. We've kind of bounced around between all of them tonight. So let's just kind of lay them out so that so that our re our readers, our listeners know exactly what we're talking about. We have the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They often call it the law. Okay. Then you have, um, we don't have to help me here. What is it? It's the, um, oh my God, it's right up here. The oh, historical the, books. The, the historical, historical books. books. Yeah. I, I, know, I didn't know what structure of the canon you were going off of. The he- <laughs> the, the there are multiple ones. ones. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so you got the historical books, which would be your Joshua's, um, judges, uh, Ruth, um, but what else is in there? Yeah. Samuel Kings, Samuel uh, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, um, Ezra, Nehemiah. I'm trying to think of as many as I can. Then you have the wisdom literature. Uh, so the wisdom literature is, is a very specific genre that is, and, and really a lot of times wisdom literature is probably one of the most eisegeted texts yeah. of, of scripture because you have these kind of one-liners and people think, well, I can just pick it out of, you know, I can pick that one liner out of there and I can pluck it and make it do what I want to do because there's not, there's not a narrative flow. When we talk about the majority of the old Testament has is narrative though. I think the wisdom literature, Job is probably the only narrative really form in, in all the wisdom literature. You got Job, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations. Um, some might not include Lamentations in wisdom literature, but I think I would. I don't know. I mean, I think I think yes, but also you look when you read the prophets. Uh, the prophets yeah. do have poetic writings around, like Isaiah. There's a lot of poetic passages, Amos. Yeah, um, and, and uh, so I think it probably still. I mean properly belongs to prophets, especially since mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's tagged on to Jeremiah. at the same time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it genre wise, like the text itself. Yeah. Is, is poetic. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah. 
I think it's Hebrew poetry. Yep. So then you got after you get the wisdom literature, that kind of the the bulk or or the main uh, ending part of it. There is going to be the prophets in the Old Testament, and yeah. and the prophets. I, I I really think that the prophets kind of serve as a culmination of all of it together because when you get to the mm. prophets you you have a lot of everything that you've had before it um you have poetry like you were just talking about you got lamentations you got the poetry the wisdom style but you also have uh several narratives in in the prophetic right. books um yeah. it tells a story of you know these prophets prophesying to the nation of israel the nation of israel messing it up and then the you know think i think about the book of hosea Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that is a narrative type story, but it's still considered a prophetic book. And right. so you, you see in the prophets, this kind of culmination of all of the genres of the old Testament kind of wrapped up and with a bow put on it. And of course you got the, the final one, you got the Italian prophet Malachi, I always call him that. <laughs> <laughs> to- totally stole that from Jack. Totally stole that from Jack. <laughs> Oh, the first time he said that, he's like, "Yeah, it's the Italian prophet," and, and I was like, "I was like, what in the world is he?" He's like, "It's Malachi," oh, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> <laughs> um, but you yeah. you have these stories of the prophets of God speaking to the people of God, and them sometimes listening, most of the time not listening. Um, but yeah. you get these stories, and and you something that you can draw from all of this is is what we have talked a little bit about is these points of kind of like a, I guess a characteristic of narrative stories. You're going to have certain things that happen in narrative stories. You're going to have characters. You're going to have these scenes. You're going to have dialogue. You're going to have this plot that you follow and, and seeing these things and, and reading about these things and kind of knowing what's going on, I think is crucial to actually understanding and, and getting to a proper hermeneutic because if you don't know what's happening, then you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to interpret. And you were just talking a minute ago about uh, interpretation or observation, interpretation, application. One of the things that that uh, Dale Yance always taught us was there is only one interpretation, and there may be a hundred applications. And we need yeah. to understand the difference between interpretation and application, because a Bible text will only mean what a Bible text means how that Bible text applies to your context in your life, how you modernize. And that's what Fee and Stewart talk about is part of the work and part of the goal of hermeneutics is to take something that was and then and bring it to the here and now. And, and if we, if we don't take the was and then and bring it to the here and now, then we're never going to be able to really talk about the Bible in its proper context Um, and we're not going to be able to exegete the Bible in its proper context. And, and I, and when you, when you sit down and you listen to a, a a preacher or a teacher of, of God's word, and you just, you sit there and you go, man, I feel like I learned so much. That's usually because that teacher has taken the time to draw the lines from the then to the now. And, and they, they, they make that scripture come alive for, for something. And and what they're doing is they're applying that to your life. They've done the exegesis. They've done the observation and the interpretation already. And so when they're bringing it to you, they're giving you that application, but in the process of giving you that application, they're also explaining to you the ops. Hopefully they're explaining to you the observation and interpretation. And so when we, when we talk about hermeneutics of the Bible, understand that's what we're that is kind of the the whole process that we're talking about is this observation what's in the text what does the text say you know um i i don't know if if dr yance did this with you guys i know i remember my first hermeneutics class we went into class we were given a text i I believe it was psalm 100 i think is what it was and he said i want every person in here to write down 50 observations from this psalm it was like six verses which is not a long psalm yeah no no and you're like i'm not gonna get 50 observations from this and you're like okay here we go so you start writing you're like you know and i mean your observation can be really basic i mean it can be what does you know thanksgiving mean we're talking about someone or what does thanksgiving mean how does you know all of these things are just an observation you're asking questions of the text 
Um, yeah. It could be talking about words. It can be talking about sentences. It can be talking about the structure of the sentences. It, there's a lot of stuff that you can observe from the text. And then after we got done, that, that was that was like 10 minutes after we got done. He said, OK, we started writing some of them up on the board. And he goes, OK, now I want everybody to write 50 more that we don't have on the board already. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> you know, yeah. but at the and his whole point in that was to say, you may not get 100. But you want to try to do everything in your power to think about, to observe every possible nuance, every possible detail, every possible thing you can get from that text before you move to the work of interpretation. Yeah. You want to know that text backwards and forwards. And this is just sitting down because when I was pastoring, when I was a preaching pastor, I would sit down and I would do like, you know, Hendrix would say to do. Um, you know, you print out the passage, uh, the mm-hmm. preaching text, and and I would write, I would start, just print it out a separate sheet. I would write all of my observations, just everything I could possibly write around it. My question, my questions, not just mm-hmm. observe, but things that were, oh, that's weird. Um, why use that word? Yeah. Uh, what does that, what does that mean? Um, and so sometimes your observations aren't necessarily statements of fact, but mm-hmm. they're questions about why is That's this right. here and yep. uh, what's the connection to this. And, um, and I would just do that for, you know, one or two days just doing mm-hmm. that. And that's just a work. It's in there working with the English text. That's not, that's before I go into early Greek or, mm-hmm. um, or Hebrew, if it's an old Testament passage, um, not going to a commentary until the very end. I mean, I would, it's not, I, I believe in the value of the commentaries, but only after you've done your own legwork, that's, that's everything right. you can, everything you can do. That's right. Um, and uh, don't run to a commentary. Don't run to what do the best known theologians in history or the, or mm-hmm. the current, you know, rock stars today. What, what yeah. do they say? You know, because they must know everything. Um, <laughs> but do, do your own work and you're amazed. Not just, are you going to find something new? No, but you're, if you discover it in such a way, it's it's going to stick. It's going to yep. mean something to you. That's right. It's going to be a tr- it's going to be a treasure to you when you discover it. Yeah. And then you find other people saw it too, and I think for me that makes it all the more valuable. Yeah. Um, like I see it too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I think that's how. It's, but I used to do that, and that's just working with the text, man. And, and yeah, uh, you can just wear it out. Um, just yeah. you get you kind of this fascination with it. I think like a childlike curiosity. Uh, so this is what this is telling me about God. I want to know God. That's right. So I, I need to learn. Well, what? How do I get to know Him? Ask mm. questions. Ask questions. That's <laughs> um, right. He he said this. What do you think it means? Right. You know, uh, it's it's funny that you say you say that the the way that we learn about God is to ask questions because that immediately makes me think of of the New Testament and and Jesus saying to the crowd and to the disciples, you know, don't, don't stop those little children from coming to me. In fact, every one of you should come to me like little children. And, and, you know, I have a five-year-old and an 11-year-old and there are some days where I just want to, I don't have any hair, but I'm going to pluck my hair out because (laughs) I'm so tired of hearing, Hey mom, or Hey dad, or, you know, you're like, I'm I'm changing my name. My name is not dad anymore. (laughs) My name is, and then you don't say anything. That's right. But, but that's exactly the way that God wants us to come to him. Questions. Keep bringing questions. I don't understand this. Explain this to me. I want to learn about this. That's what children are doing when they're asking you questions. They want to know something that they don't know already. And they're going to go to the person that they think has all the answers, which for your children, more than likely is your parent. It's, it's the parent, um, you know, until they turn teenagers and then they, they learn that their parents don't know anything at all until they're about 20. And then they realize their parents did know a lot of stuff. In it. <laughs> it's a cycle. It's a fun cycle. Um, but, but man, it's, you know, when you talk about asking questions, I, I, I've, loved telling people that. And and I remember when, as you were talking, I, I was flashing back to hermeneutics with, with Dr. Yance, because my whole life I grew up saying, you can't ask questions. You just have to believe what's told to you. And, and there were things I was like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what that means. And it wasn't really for me until college. And so I started saying, what does this mean? Why does it say that? 
that's really strange, you know, and, and realizing that it was okay to ask those questions, you know, it's really weird that it talks about Ehud, the left-handed guy shoving his sword and <laughs> losing it. And the guy's fat. I mean, yeah, that's, that's close really sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it is funny. Like I heard that too. And, and it's almost like, and I remember, I forget, I think it was Francis Schaefer and he just, he talks about uh, at some point, um, maybe in his letters, I can't remember where, but I got this sense from him the Bible can defend itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and, and so you can ask questions of it. God, God can handle yeah. himself. He's not going to come right. apart because, Oh, you finally <laughs> found the one crack in, uh, <laughs> in what God thinks and what he wrote. And you're not, but it, it can handle your questions. God can yes. handle your questions. I think that's an important, that's an important thing to know just about walking with him. Um, yeah. He, he can handle your questions, but with the object, at the, at the end of the day is to know him. That's eternal life. Jesus said, John yeah. 3. this is eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ. And, and, That's right. Um, but you talk uh, back to something you're talking about, the prophets, uh, mm-hmm. and Stewart, because we talk about relating to this or relating to our lives. One of the most helpful things that they say is understanding that. So you got the foundational, uh, in the Torah, right? The first mm-hmm. five books, Pentateuch. But the prophets are simply, no matter what kind of genre they're using or mm-hmm. vehicle of language, they're pointing, they're pointing in th- either three directions. You know, they're pointing back to the Torah saying, you guys are broken this, right? Yep. Um, and so in present day, they're, they're pointing out different things in their culture and, sh- and basically holding up next to God's standard laid down in the Torah saying, you're breaking it, right? Yeah. And then calling people to repentance or announcing doom or wrath upon them. But the third dimension or the uh, so past, present, and then also looking forward to the Messiah, you know, pointing mm-hmm. forward to, you know, like you said, the, 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 the redemption and then the consummation. That's right. Um, and you get beautiful passages through scripture talking about the new covenant, like in uh, Jeremiah uh, yep. 31. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Ezekiel 36 and, uh, is one I think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, and so announcing even back then that, God is going to bring a work that is internal, the law being mm-hmm. internalized. Yeah. Um, and so this forward movement, we're not there yet. And we're still in that, you know, not yet, right? We're not already, yeah. not yet. Um, but, uh, but, that's, but that's helpful to remember when you're reading the prophets is that they're, it's not just they're trying to speak in cryptic language. Yeah. Um, but they're taking the standard of the, of the law laid down Mm-hmm. And they're simply pointing out that you haven't kept it. You yeah. Know? So re- return to the Lord because he loves you. Yep. Um, and, uh, and he, and he doesn't announce wrath and doom upon those who continue to rebel. And mm-hmm. That's a reality. So, so just, it was, it simplified and demystified the prophets yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, yes. I still don't know what to do with Ezekiel most of the time. But. <laughs> Something about dry bones and flesh and tendons and, or a Lecrae rap song somewhere. <laughs> yeah, man, or this long chapter is about the temple. I'm like, what earth is this about? Um, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> man, I'm going, to, I'm going to Gospel of John. That's right. I'm getting over here to something I can understand. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's kind of let's bring all of this, all this kind of discussion that we've been bouncing all over the place here. Let's just give a little bit of warning as we talk about reading the Old Testament. And and some of these we've already kind of hinted at, we've already spoken of. Um, but Fee and Stewart gave these warnings when they were they were talking about reading the Old Testament. I think it's really good for us as listeners and as modern day Christians to understand what these are. Um, so we've already mentioned we we don't need to allegorize, you know, this when you there are allegorical texts in the Old Testament, yes, but as a for for the most part, it is a historical narrative, and so there is there's a historical meaning, something that happened. This is not some weird, you know, up in the sky, pie in the sky kind of thought process that we have to symbolize and understand. So be yeah. be wary of allegorizing. Unless you, you know, unless you're reading Daniel, then you might, then you might want to do or, it. <laughs> yeah. Or it's verified like Paul is yeah. comparing the covenants, right. To, yeah. um, 
Uh, so to, to Sarah and Hagar, right. And so yep. he's, and that, so he says, this is he, to me, it can, he interprets that allegorically, mm-hmm. but otherwise, I mean, you have no clear precedent for, for doing that. So we're just yeah. always on shaky grounds, especially like he allegorized Song of Solomon, Oh gosh, um, which the church has done for, over and over again, yeah, yeah centuries. And yeah. I'm like, well, this is just too steamy a book. I mean, what mm-hmm. else could it be about? Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah. The don't don't do it. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> do not do not decontextualize. And and I, I mean I think it's the point we've been making all night. Mm-hmm. You have to keep scripture. You have to keep it inside of the context that it's in. You can't take um one one of the ones that you can't take Leviticus nineteen and pull it out and say that that that's a modern day argument against immigration. What in the world? <laughs> you know, no, that's not what it's about. You know. Um, and so you have to read. And, and I think the biggest thing that, that I always tell people about decontextualizing is when they quote a verse or they say they pull out a verse and they'll say they'll, they'll quote that verse. And be like, tell me the 10 verses before that and the 10 verses after that. And they always kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, unless I know what's around that verse, then I don't understand. I don't really have a full understanding of what the context of what you're saying is. Right. And so, you in in the old testament it wasn't written in chapter and verse there were there were no markings of verse one two three and four i I, i've said it before but the the chapters and verses are not inspired (laughs) they're in there and they help us yeah well they also they also inhibit us Um, yes they do so sarah so sarah um my wife as you know um Mm -hmm. she she got the readers, the ESV reader Bible, which is like, I love it. Volumes. I have mine up there. So, it's great. Oh my God. So I read it for the first time. I read Romans and mm-hmm. just to read through it um, without chapters. Of, she's been doing this. Like she'll, she's been reading through the, the narrative and through, and just without any kind of limitation mm-hmm. of chapter and verse. And she's just been blown away with like how much stuff makes more sense when you don't yeah. have a constant interruption of chapter and verse number. Yeah. And I've experienced that for the first time a couple of days ago. I was like, Holy cow, this is for real. Like, yeah. Um, and you get a better sense of what it's like to, again, that context, right. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not saying, okay, now for chapter three, yeah. say this, <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't go like that, but it, it man, so that is a really helpful resource. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. So I'm really glad Sarah got those. There, uh, I got mine when I graduated seminary and I have read through a couple of books the of the Bible that way without chapter and verse. And, and you're exactly right. It's just because when you, when you take away chapters and verses, you actually read the argument that Paul's making in Romans starting, you know, starting from the beginning, he's making yeah. a very specific argument all the way through it. And, and yes, chapters and verses are good for modern day because it helps us understand where and, and, and reference you know, for yeah, reference, it's just one of reference. but, but yeah, don't, you know, don't pluck a verse and try to proof text that verse to be what you want it to be without understanding yeah. what is before it and after it. Um, so don't decontextualize. Don't selective, you know, this is basically right, right along with decontextualizing. Don't use selectivity, which is picking and choosing. Um, you can't take Leviticus 19, 24. I don't even know if that's the, the verse I'm trying to think of and, and say, you should never get a tattoo because of Leviticus 19, 24. You don't understand the context of all the laws written there in Leviticus 19, 24. And so you can't, you can't use that as an argument You because you're selecting something that, sounds like what you want it to sound like to make the point that you're trying to make. And you're isogeting scripture at that point to, to make it say something you want it to say. And, and selectivity is a bad thing. Um, One of the other things we've already talked about this one, moralizing, we don't always have to ask what's the moral of the story. You know, we can ask what is God teaching us through the story? And I think there is a, it may be a fine line difference, but but there is a difference in asking what's the moral of the story and what's God trying to teach us in the story. Yeah. Because everything should be teaching us either something more about ourselves, something more about God, or both. In most cases, it's going to be both. Yeah. And so we want to we want to stay stay away from moralizing. We want to stay away from personalizing. 
Um, this gets more to the Matt Chandler argument of you're not David. Um, you know, you, you don't want to try to put yourself into a certain role in scripture. You don't want to be that, you know, that person. I don't, you're trying to put yourself into a role that you don't necessarily fit. Yeah. Well, also it, that involves a lot of times allegorizing. In that yes. case, a lot of sermons were built upon like the, the giants are my challenges in life. I That's right. Be like David, and <laughs> I've got to take down all those challenges with faith in God. It's kind of just, and, but in that passage, you know, again, you think contextually, God's the hero because David is, even in what he does, he's saying, I'm only able to do this in the name of the Lord. That's my right. God. Yeah. And that's the key. And whatever strength he has and, and whatever strength that the, the, the Israel's army lacks mm-hmm. um, is due to the name of the Lord is God. I mean, that is, yeah. that is the only reason David is able to do what he does. And that's that's the point. Um, and so David, in a sense, yes, is like Christ, right? But David also is is only able to do what he does because. And so this is a real giant is is basically raising himself up um, mm-hmm. against and against it, not just Israel's army, but Israel's God. Yeah. And so it's not it's not just about the challenges of my life, but it's about my God mm-hmm. and about. Um, any other false notion or anything else that would compete for God's glory. Um, nobody's yeah. going to get glory over God. That's right. And and I think that's when we get down to it. That's really what we're getting at. Not just, okay, I can overcome obesity, right? Mm-hmm. This passage is about that. <laughs> that may be the case, right? That, that That's an application, you know, a, a real application, but it, it's not directly what we're, you know, what we're drawing out of this. And that's you quickly right. can yeah. go there and personalize it and allegorize it um, because we want to take a shortcut and not really get to the bottom of what is it saying about God? God's the hero of the story. And what does yeah. it say about him? And, and also when, so yeah, I hope that makes sense. It, <laughs> it does. Yes. And, and it ties, yeah, I mean, it really ties into the next thing when you're talking about personalizing, which is, which is misappropriation. It's, this is something that's very similar to personalizing. Um, but it's basically trying to, use a story for your own moral purposes. You're trying to make something into the story that you want it to be so that you can prove the point that you want to prove. And you know that it's you, you're misappropriating that story is what you're doing. You know, you're taking the story of David and saying that, Oh, I need to fight my giants when it needs to be. God is here beside me and God is fighting my giants. And I'm the Israelite over in the the corner cowering in in fear, you know, Right, right. So, um, or you can, similar to misappropriation, you can falsely appropriate something, which is reading something um, into the context that is not necessarily there, something that the in the author did not intend to put in the story. Um, and and this this goes back to the very beginning. If you're reading something in context, you're less likely to put something in that story that doesn't need to be in there. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head, but I can't because I, I'm luckily surrounded by a lot of people who don't do that one very often. So um, that'll be the challenge for the next episode. Like, yes. okay, let's find a good example of that. <laughs> False appropriation. Right. Um, one of the last ones here is is redefinition. Is This is probably the most common one is when you don't like the meaning of a text, you redefine the meaning so that, it can fit what you want it to say. Um, and, and I think that this is, this becomes more of a problem in the new Testament than it does the old Testament. Um, and I think this is more of a problem in today's society with the way that, uh, more liberal leaning Christians are trying to interpret the Bible to paint a different story of what Jesus was or how Jesus would have acted in certain situations um, because they just don't like, you know, one, of, I guess one of the, the big ones that I think of uh, on something like this on redefinition is Thomas Jefferson, who didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. And so he went through, uh, his Bible and scalpeled out all the references to the, you know, a miracle that Jesus performed. And he yeah. just didn't, didn't want to look at that. You know, he wanted to redefine the Bible in a way that painted Jesus the way that he wanted him to be, you know, um, yeah. you mentioned Marcion earlier. That was, 
that's I mean that's essentially a Marcion heresy is what that is. Yeah. Is right. is a redefinition of biblical text so that it fits the narrative that you want to tell. Yeah. So or or yeah, or somebody following the wake of like Jehovah's Witnesses and yeah, you know, kind of the Aryan Aryan yep. right of of um we don't really know what to make of Jesus and so therefore he he just can't be, you know, equal with with God and so it seems like there are texts that suggest that like Jehovah's Witness always go to John uh, yeah. one and even go to the Greek text, you know, noticing that you know Theos doesn't have an article and mm-hmm. and so that must mean it means a God, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but, um, but again, you ignore so many passages that clearly, um, identify Jesus as divine, as God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, if I, is there something there and it, we do this culturally now, if there's something I don't like, then I just, well, and there are all kinds of ways that you can, you can do some, yeah. uh, hermeneutical gymnastics to get yeah. whatever you want, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, just I don't know, man. You just spin it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very well orchestrated spinning of, of scripture. Yes, it I is. Don't like. I, I guess I, if I don't like um, not just what it says, but if it challenges something that I, that I believe or that I don't mm-hmm. think is possible, or that I, I don't that I would have to give up. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Then obviously it can't mean that. Or if it's something I haven't experienced personally, then I can ignore parts of scripture like, you know, I, I don't know where anybody follows in this, but like cessationists mm-hmm. um, say it must have stopped because my experience doesn't it's, validate this. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you build your theology upon your experience or lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another that's, uh, examples of redefinition. I like, have to yeah. redefine scripture to fit my own experience. Right. Um, not just my likes and dislikes. Yeah. So there's you some pitfalls to avoid when, when reading Old Testament, New Testament, all of the genres of scripture. Um, but there is, that's a very overarching view of, of the Old Testament. We, we touched in and really hit on a, a bunch of different things and kind of talked them, talked through them. And, and I hope that was, that was beneficial for everyone. Brian, man, I, I appreciate that conversation because it helps me. Uh, even even as I've read the book, it helps me continue to think, and and that's the goal is to, for all of us to continue to think more biblically and understand where we're coming from and where Scripture is trying to take us. Thank you for listening to episode number one hundred twenty-seven of the Beers and Bible Podcast. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. You can find us on Facebook by searching beers and Bible podcast. And you can also email us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. You can uh, reach out to us on any of those uh, platforms. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed, or if you have a beer that you would like for us to review on the podcast, and we would certainly love to hear from you and interact with our listeners. So until next week, we hope your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we will see you later. Peace out.